Um, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is found after Joshua and Judges. You'll find a little book there. And verses that you probably heard or you may have had read at your wedding, as a matter of fact, are found in this little book. I must say that if you had them read at your wedding, it, uh, it's actually something said to a, to a woman's mother-in-law. So <laughs> if you had them read to your mother-in-law, you were right on the biblically correct. You may need to read some to your mother-in-law now. I don't know. The book of Ruth is the story that takes place in the time of the Judges. That was a period in time in Israel when the land had been occupied. Canaan, Joshua had taken his people into Canaan and they had defeated uh, Jericho, they had occupied the land and they, um, began, they had parceled out the land to the tribes so that each one of the 12 tribes, each one of the 11 tribes, Levi, the tribe of Levi didn't have, a, didn't have any land, but the others were parceled out among the tribes. And they begin to live and to occupy the land of Canaan. And um, there were, it was a period of time when God would raise up a judge to rule over his people. It wasn't a king. Actually, it was a, kind of a military leader, kind of an arbitrary military leader. Many of them were not that um, deeply religious, as a matter of fact. Many of them were not really uh, leaders in the religious life of the people. They were military people primarily, and one woman. Her name was Deborah. And they ruled over the land, or they guided the people, these judges did. It was during the time of the judges that this takes place, the book of Ruth. I want to read the first part of the first chapter. Read it with me. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi and the name of his two sons were Malon, Malon, and Chilion, Ephaphrodites, Epharthites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was left, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that they might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with me. 
with the dead and with me. And may the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughter. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, had, if I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight to also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain, refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you, for where you go I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to, to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mahorah, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me? The Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned with her, with Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Old philosophies never die. They, they just emerge at different stages of history and are predominant. Deism is a, a philosophy. Deism um, teaches that that God created everything, and then He allowed His creation to um, uh, continue on its own. And God kind of drew back from His creation to not be involved in it, but just to let it uh, run its course without His involvement. Kind of like you'd wind up a toy and then let it run down. That's deism. Pantheism gets... Uh, lost in his creation. Pantheism is a philosophy that believes that everything is God, that God created it. The tree is God, the sun is God, the moon is God. Epicureanism believes that the world is ultimately an accident or a chance. Stoics teach that people are in the hands of a blind fate. And Stoics teach that you just need to grin and bear, just grit your teeth and endure what comes your way. And in contrast to these philosophical positions, one needs to study the biblical view of God's involvement in His world. Studying and preaching from the book of Ruth, 
helps us to see that God is a loving, caring, personal, living creator. And that this creator created his world and he did not stand back and let it run its course. Nor is this world uh, in, the, in the hands of blind fate. It's created by a God who is, who is a loving, caring uh, God, personal God. And that on, in every chapter of the book of Ruth, you'll find this loving, caring God in the world ruling and providing and sustaining it. As I mentioned in the introduction, it took place in the days of the judges, and the main characters of this story are these, Elimelech. Now there is significance in the names of these people. Listen to these, these names. Elimelech means in the Hebrew, God is king or God rules. His wife was named Naomi, it means pleasant one, or pleasant. And they lived in Bethlehem. The name of that city is Bethlehem. It means house of bread. It was a rich and fertile place where everybody had plenty to eat. Did this pleasant woman live in the house of bread with a man who believed that God is king and God rules? And they had two sons, and so they named them what they were feeling at the time. The first son they named Malon. The word means a song. When the second son came along, they named him Chilion. It means complete or full. What a family. Here was a people who lived and believed that God rules in the house of bread. It was a pleasant experience and when children were running around the house, there was a song on their lips, and they were full and complete. Life was full and complete to them. And then all of a sudden, famine came. There was a famine in the house of bread, famine in Bethlehem. And the very word famine suggests is a contradiction to what the name Bethlehem means. There was no bread in the house of bread. I think it's pretty well a picture of the life of some of us. You, have you ever noticed, I, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and he said, man, things are going so great, I'm almost paranoid, afraid something's going to happen. It, it seems like that oftentimes when everything is going just exactly right, then something happens to change it. While I was working on this, I remembered the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's recorded in the sixth chapter of the book of John. And he'd fed the 5,000. And everything was, was um, pointing to the fact that this man was different from all other men. And people were gathered around him to follow their bread king. And after he'd fed the 5,000, they each one had a basket of fragments left over. I can just see these disciples saying to themselves, Man, did you see that? He fed 5,000 with these little loaves and fishes. Man, did you see the people? Their eyes bugged out on stems. They, 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 couldn't, they couldn't imagine it. It's an awesome thing. And they got in this boat and they were just a stir and a glow with the, with the fact that this Lord was able to provide bread. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the storm came and the bottom fell out. Oftentimes when things are going the best, when you have everything just like you want it, the bottom falls out. It's what happened in the 
land of bread. Famine came. And they began to move. They went to the next country, to Moab, to find work, to find food, to survive. So this little refugee family who had everything going for it now was moving across the borders just to survive. And when they got in the land of Moab, Elimelech dies. And now Naomi is left in a world to which she did not belong with two daughters-in-law that were really not related to her except through the marriage of her sons. No bloodlines. This woman is there all alone and everything has changed. I think it speaks to us tonight of the inevitability of transition. Nothing remains the same. If you live long enough, things are going to change in your life. I was just remembering as I uh, got down here to dine and was kind of looking over this, I wonder how much your life has changed since last July. Some of you are alone for the first time. Some of you have had children graduate and go off to college. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have had the sadness of separation and the heartache of that. For if a person lives long enough, he'll see change, drastic change. Change is inevitable. Nobody's circumstances ever remains the same. And the longer you live, the more transition you'll have to experience. Did you write this? There's a hooded bandit who steals into our best moments and snatches away the joy of all that is familiar. Ruthlessly he drains away the nectar of our children's youth, and in a swirl of dust they're gone. Stolen from our homes by this relentless villain, the security of the way it was dissolves at his touch, and we're left with the disconcerting emptiness of the new and the different. Streets, houses, friends, even our faces and our bodies are all prey to this relentless attack. This bandit's name is change, and his abode is universal. You cannot escape his coming and going. We don't like this bandit called change. Something in us is bothered by the fact that we can never quite preserve things as we want them. The best experiences the best moments, the really inspiring times are gone so quickly. We secretly think, I want to keep my kids this age forever. I want to somehow hold them right here. I don't want, to, I don't want them to keep going on. Or we don't want our parents to get older. We don't want our homes or our favorite buildings changed. We don't want a, our particular way of life to stop. You and I want to take now, nail it down tight, and keep this time forever. Did you write that? Any one of you could have written that. For nobody likes to face the fact that things are going to change and things will not be the same and things cannot remain the way they are. I think there's a third thing that confronts us about 
transition, that is, the resources for transition. How do you cope when nothing remains the same, when there is change? How do you, how do you live, you know, when, when things are moving around you, you can't hold? I think there are two things that are necessary. One is a support system, the support system of others. It was true in the case of Naomi. Thousands of years ago, this woman could not have survived if she hadn't had these people in her life. And I've heard it said recently and over and over again in these conferences we've been having around here in our church, especially among those who are going through divorce and the loss of loved ones, the grief process, that you need somebody to lean on, some support system. And I talked to our kids up at Falls Creek about the most important decision one will ever make in his life, and that is the decision of who will be his friend, what friends he will have. Because when things begin to change around us and the center begins to shift, it is important to have a support system there to lean on. Not only is it important to have a support group, but it is it is necessary that we never lose sight that God is with us and that He cares for us. Now this death came, death came into the life of Ruth, into the life of Naomi, death. Sooner or later, every person in this room tonight will go through the grief experience. Any significant loss results in grief, but all of us at some time, if we live long enough, will experience the results of grief and the loss of a loved one. She lost her homeland. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. And there is this enormous pain that comes with grief. It affects one physiologically. It hurts the bones. It breaks the body. And it hurts one psychologically. It brings loneliness and despondency and depression. I think there's a second thing to be said about the grief experience, and that is, is that there is the necessity for the normal expressions of grief. In this culture, these people lamented. It says they lifted up their voices and wept. In that culture, they, they wailed and they cried aloud. They expressed their grief like that. We don't, like, we don't like to do that. In fact, we try to encourage people not to grieve at all. Doug Manning has a great little book called Don't Take Away My Grief, and he said that one day there was a woman who had just lost a son, a child. And her well-meaning friends had gathered around her and they were trying to um, comfort her and encourage her. And they were saying, now don't cry, don't, let's be strong, don't grieve over this. And she said, quote, don't take my grief away from me. I deserve it, I'm going to have it. I wonder how many times I've tried to do that. We try to take people's grief away with too many words. I think sometimes we have to, we feel like we have to defend God. And so we get up in the time when somebody experiences grief and we try to explain it, why it happened. 
to justify it and defend God. And sometimes we take away a person's grief by, the, by sheer neglect. We just think, well, if I avoid the subject, then I won't have to deal with it with them. I won't have to listen to them. And sometimes we take away a person's grief by reacting to it. We, we don't understand the grief process. You understand the grief process. There are some stages of the grief process. You've heard them before. Let me just remind you. The first is denial. We try to avoid confronting it or facing it. We don't like to... Sometimes we get angry at the preacher because he didn't come visit us. Sometimes we get angry at the deceased. How could you leave me like this alone? Anger. And then there's guilt. We begin to feel of the things and remember the things we didn't do. And we, get, we feel guilty because we didn't say enough or do enough. And we begin to bargain, and that's the fourth stage. We begin to tell God what we'll do if He will do. And finally we move into the process of acceptance, the process of, of going through the matter of grief. It, it's a process that somebody has to go through when someone dies. It's the process we go through in divorce. There's a third thing that needs to be said, and that is that the need to get beyond the grief. The need to get beyond the grief. Of course, Naomi would never forget her husband and her sons, but she realized that life had to move on. And so she says in verse 6, look at verse 6 again, says, She arose with her daughters-in-law that they might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard, heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food, that the, that the famine was broken in Bethlehem and they could return there. She knew that she had to get on with her life. Let me say quickly, going beyond grief means two things. Getting beyond grief means integrating aspects of the deceased person into your life, such as engaging in selective memory of the deceased person. Engaging in selective memory. Now what I mean by selective memory is this, is sometimes we can just go back and get, become prisoners of the past. Now all we think about is that person. No way is it possible to forget a loved one. It should not be. We should engage, however, in selective memory of the deceased person, where we call up those memories that are important to those moments of need. Going beyond grief means a second thing. It means establishing new relationships and discovering new meaning for life. And so with this new relationship, Naomi went back to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest and he just drops that into the record because it's going to be important as you know the old story of this Moabite out in the harvest. And, and, and in the providence of God he brought her back to that place with her daughter-in-law because there is a redeemer there. And that redeemer is the Goel We'll see as we follow this study 
And he is a picture of the Redeemer that is to come, the great Redeemer, the next, the near kinsman, the Lord Jesus himself. What is the conclusion of all of this? Well, the conclusion is this, is that life never has anything permanent about it. There is only one center. There's only one unchanging one. There is only one constant in this life, and that constant, only one foundation, and that one constant and that one foundation is this loving, caring God who sustains His world. And the point of this whole thing is this, that, that one day you may wake up and you won't have your help. And one day you may discover that you don't have those material things that you desired and lived your life to achieve and gain. And it may be that one day you will not have that companion you have now or that friend. I cannot begin to tell you how many times I uh, have counseled with people who um, who've said, I thought we'd be married for life. And one day he walks in and says, or she walks in and says, I no longer want to be married to you. Nothing will ever remain the same except the Lord God Almighty who never changes. And what this whole book is about is that one must place his faith, his trust, his confidence, his security in the unchanging one. Second lesson is this, is that there is a resource for all of life's sorrows and pain and trauma. And that resource for life's pain and trauma is the God who doesn't stop at the boundary of, of uh, Moab, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of comfort. And one needs to get to know him and develop a relationship with him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray tonight that each one of us indeed has some source on which to depend, some foundation on which we build our lives. And we remember the words of Jesus, he that heareth these words and doeth them not. He's like a man who builds his house upon the sand when the storm comes, the rain descends and the floods come. They, the house does not stand. But whoever hears these words and does them is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains come and the floods rise and the house stands firm. Father, help us tonight to be honest with ourselves about concerning our relationship with Thee, where our faith is, on what our trust is placed, where our trust is placed. For I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations tonight. One is for you to come and give your heart to Christ. You place your faith in Him, He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you.
If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, tonight will be the night to do that. Or maybe to rededicate yourself to the Lord or to join a church, get into the fellowship of God's people to serve Him together while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.